those who taint the purity of those things. And the, the, the good thing and the bad thing is that whatever you think of that strategy, whether you're a nationalist or not, it doesn't work. You can't build walls high enough to separate. You can't, you know, it's like after you make your salad dressing, thinking, I think I'm going to take the vinegar and oil out and separate them out again. I mean, we live in a world now of diversity and multiculturalism, and our choice is to make war on each other or to live with each other, but to go back, to separate out the races and the religions in a world where climate, jobs, the economy, disease, crime, and technology make one world and link us all together to think that we can somehow re-separate, to pull back even the web, mm -hmm. you know, pulls us all together. So I, I, I think the reality, and the, the Republican Party, or parts of it, are trying to, in a sense, re-separate America, create an America that is like the America that maybe existed 100, 100 years ago. And quite aside from anything else, it just isn't possible. And it's funny, right, I, I cited right before we saw the film, I cited the statistic of how many Americans at the school level were already non-white, and Cobb said the same thing, or one of his, Kinda, one of yeah. the nationalists said the same thing. They said, oh my God, the school-age population is already non-white. So Chris, when you say that, that the residents in Lee's do sympathize with, with Trump, do they, do they make that connection too? They didn't seem to make that connection. Uh, we, we sat down at lunch uh, with the mayor and uh, Mr. Bruce, who's the camera guy, um, and they didn't quite, we, we didn't say anything, uh, but they didn't quite get that connection and we found it very odd. But also at the same time, not very surprising, knowing their uh, sort of political leanings. In hmm. fairness, I mean, Trump is a lot of things. Yeah. You know, on, uh, on Latinos and so on, he wants them out, but he's a celebrity. Hmm. He's a very wealthy man. Hmm. Americans vote their economic aspirations. We don't have a real socialist party besides Bernie Sanders. <laughs> And we don't have it because Americans don't vote their economic realities, they vote their aspirations. They vote what they want to be. And everybody wants to be rich. You know, we don't tax uh, inheritance. It, it's, it, it used to be a million, now it's two million, it's going up to five million. Not that most Americans die and leave five million, they don't want tax to their kids, but maybe, maybe I'll get rich. And if I do, I want to leave it all to my kids. So let's not tax inheritance. So voting their aspirations, Trump from that point of view, yeah. A rich guy, you know, a celebrity, so he gets a, lot of, he gets a lot of support for that. There are very different kinds of people who support Trump, and some are, some are racists and some are separatists, but they're also just ordinary Americans who think, yeah, let's get a rich guy who's tough on government. He says all politicians are stupid, and there is some evidence for that, so he's <laughs> able to... <laughs> so that's what's the matter with Kansas. Any, any questions in the audience? Over there. Please wait for the mic. What does this Mr. Cobb and the Hendersons, what do they do for money? What about the other neo-Nazis? Um, so what we know about um, Kynan and Deborah is that they work, um, during the film they were uh, on welfare. Um, Kynan uh, is a veteran, he suffers from PTSD, so he gets uh, money from the military for that. Uh, but now they currently, I believe, work at Walmart um, in Bismarck. And Cobb, that's a mystery. We've pressed him many times on that. Um, some of it could come from donations that he gets from people across the country. Um, he did work in the oil fields prior to the um, prior to making the film. Um, he got fired because he was outed, um, and then also his family, I believe, is very wealthy as well, as he described. So, um, yeah. Well, and, and one further point: the Southern Poverty Law Center, which you saw in Montgomery, 
featured from time to time that is an organization that's been around for quite a while, which has investigators and uh, writers who try to look into the uh, far right, the extremist movements who the FBI doesn't pay attention to unless they're committing crimes and so on, has documented that some of these nationalist movements raise money and then support individuals who are doing interesting things. And you saw the guy who came, what was his name? Uh, Jeff, Jeff Scoop from the NSM. They have resources. They bought some of the land, and I'm sure resources find their way from the rightist movements to these individuals, particularly at times when they can get publicity. I suspect they don't support them on a regular basis, but when there's a good reason to do it, uh, as he came, in fact, to the town uh, for the hearings and so on. So some of that money filters up through the movement, and they get money from small, small donations, uh, the uh, neo-Nazi movements. Any other questions over there? Uh, thank you for the movie. Uh, I read in the, the credits, if I'm right, that the movie was dedicated to the, sh the daughter who had been shot. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking, um, how did she die? Who, who killed her? And why was the movie dedicated to her, which is a little bit partial? Sure. You could uh, say. That was Lee Cook's yeah, daughter. Lee Cook. Yeah. Oh, that was just a request of Mr. Cook, and we felt, um, you know, he gave us his time, and we felt... Uh, it would be um, honorable to do that for him. Um, as far as his, the murder of his daughter, um, she was um, abducted. Um, they used to live in Washington State, and she was abduct, abduct, um, abducted and uh, found a year later in a ditch. And uh, what happened was he was a, a wealthy businessman. He owned hotels, casinos, what, what, uh, what's, whatever. And uh, he uh, had a divorce, a nasty divorce, and the, his wife's boyfriend at the time I think tried to extort him by the kidnapping and it went wrong and he is now in prison for that. Um, when we interviewed him about that, uh, he really did not want to go into it. Um, and the reason it's so brief in the film is really his fears were playing off of that. Um, you know, it wasn't a white supremacist that killed his daughter, but um, he was just so traumatized by that, um, that by the presence of Cobb and all the research he did online about the violence and, and what these people spout, uh, we felt that that was appropriate to include in the film. Okay. And, and that's what that's what Cobb senses, how traumatized he is, and that's why he's so vicious about it. Well, the, other, the other thing there that happens, and in, in this sense, the far right in America is a little like ISIS, if they can provoke violence on the other side. I mean, the one moment I think there w I thought there might be violence is when he went up to him and said, what are you, is this about your daughter? Yeah. Yeah. Here's this man has lost his daughter and he's being provoked in a yeah. way that could have brought violence out. The other thing in America that's a little different than here is that you know, we know everybody's armed, everybody's got guns, and uh, it makes a much more volatile situation. I'm a little surprised, in fact, that given all the guns that were in that town, uh, you didn't, in fact, uh, get, get some gunplay at some point because uh, that the presence of guns, and again, the, the right, the Republican Party defends that right for everybody to have guns. 85% of Americans want gun control. The National Rifle Association represents about 15% of Americans and it owns the Congress, which means there's no real gun regulation in America. So on top of everything else, put into this situation, everybody having, everybody having guns. Carson, Ben Carson, the black man running for the presidency who knows very little about anything but neurosurgery, uh, has said recently, aside from saying that the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Egyptians built the pyramids as grain silos, not really to bury their leaders in, uh, 
he also said, if during the Holocaust some Jews had had guns, there would have been no Holocaust. He said that on national television. That was his understanding. So the, the notion that somehow give people guns, everybody has guns, and then the world's a better place is, is, is a very American thing that the Republican Party represents as a national party. And, huh. uh, I read are. yesterday that Nancy Pelosi proposed some legislations to uh, prohibit people with terrorist plans to own guns and that the NSA protested. Okay, any other questions? Over there. Oh, I'm sorry, the mic's going there. Yeah. Could you say just something more about how you uh, got trust from both sides? I mean, what did the inhabitants say when they found out that you were talking to COP? Sure. Uh, we went, uh, we told them from the very beginning what we were, our plans were, and we were very transparent about it. So um, they, they took that as a sort of, um, you know, just something professional that we do, and they understood we were journalists, and that that was our job to talk to both sides. Um, and also near the end, you saw in the film, they were, they were asking, where is he, where is he? And we were the only ones who knew where he was, and we felt that we couldn't cross that line. Um, you know, if, if we did sense immediate danger to them, we would tell them because obviously we wouldn't keep that from them, but we didn't sense immediate danger from Cobb against them. Uh, so we did uh, tell them later that we did know where they were and they did understand that. Um, it was tough to swallow for them, but, um, you know, they, they were good people and they, they just understood what we were doing. One last question over, over there, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah, beautiful, amazing film. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I, given what you just said about you know the residents of the town were able to use the internet and do their own research and find out that this was truly a dangerous man, uh, also you were able to uncover all of that context that he was working in and you know convinced us I think immediately with real facts about his history and his alliances over his lifetime, that he was truly a dangerous, you know, criminally minded man. Why was the judge, how did that information not play into the plea process? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, it was kind of confusing. Uh, we felt that the, 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 um, the state government really wanted to brush it under the rug. They were kind of tired of the spotlight which is um, kind of typical for North Dakota. They don't like to, they want to be left alone. And they were also having uh, a lot of issues with the oil uh, boom. A lot of felonies were happening, a lot of murders. Um, and I think by that point, they were sick of it. They wanted it brushed under the rug. And maybe they were um, playing it too safe. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I think they just trusted that by having him on probation and now being tracked, um, it would be safer than taking to trial, and he could, could have gotten off, probably. But there's something else that's really important. The United States and Republicans and Democrats alike take the First Amendment and take civil liberties very, very seriously. And it's actually very hard to get a conviction of anyone simply because they've made threats. It really is hard, and on the one hand, you might say, that's really stupid, this guy was dangerous. On the other hand, it's a great tribute to a system that says, unfortunately, you have to do something. You know, and there's many, many cases where people have threatened their families, where people have done things, and there's not enough evidence if you apply the Bill of Rights carefully to put them away, even though often they go on and kill people. You know, a lot of women have been killed by husbands who do all kinds of threats, but in America, you really have to do more than just prove threats. And on the one hand, that's 
horrendous, but on the other hand, it's a tribute to a system that protects the liberties of everybody first, and you have to do something horrendous before you get arrested, and that was partly at play. And I think in that sense, the judge and the prosecutor, when the prosecutor said we just didn't have a good enough case, and Mr. Bruce didn't help either, obviously, when mm -hmm. he said I wasn't really afraid at all, and that you know made it the, the sense that maybe the charges are being a bit trumped up just to get the guy out of town. So it, it is, it's a backhanded tribute to the respect for civil liberties that even those who most threaten civil liberties have the rights of civil liberties. And you've got to, it's a tough thing to convict them and put them away. Yeah, I mean, the prosecutor on camera told us, um, you know, he'd defend, uh, you know, Cobb to death to, to defend for his right to do what he does, even though he doesn't agree with it. So, exactly. Years ago in Skokie, Illinois, uh, which is a Jewish suburb of Chicago, the Nazis did a march, an armed march through that suburb, and they tried to stop it, and all the local judges said, sorry, but they have a right to march as Nazis even in a Jewish, a Jewish suburb. And we might say, I mean, in Germany, we know the Nazi, the real Nazi party is, is still illegal, but in the United States, everybody can use those rights, including people who despise those rights and want to destroy them. And that's, on the one hand, a weakness of the system, and on the other hand, it's a great strength and virtue mm -hmm. of the system. Democracy is a complicated thing. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you Chris everyone. Walker, for your film. And thank you, and I hope to see you again this afternoon.